dropping on my face. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. Welcome to the Matt Watch That Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to review a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, I wanted to give a status update of the podcast. This is the second to last podcast of this season. I'm going to be taking the next two weeks off, and then the podcast will be back on December 6th for our Christmas special. We are in the home stretch. And it's that time of the year, holidays coming around, and I just wanted to take a moment to thank everyone who has listened to this podcast. The first question that most people ask me is, how many people download your episodes? And I don't like giving out any numbers because that's not why I'm doing it, but this is what I'll tell you. It's more than just my family and friends, but Joe Rogan has nothing to worry about. When I started this podcast, I had absolutely no expectations. I just wanted to learn a new skill. From the time that I decided to do a podcast to the release of my first episode, it was probably about a month and a half. I knew absolutely nothing. I didn't know what mics to use, what software to edit, how to get it up on all these platforms. I was a complete noob. And in a couple of weeks, I had my first episode. And from the very beginning, all I wanted to do was have a little fun. Once this becomes a chore, that's when I'm going to hang my hat up. But until then, I'm getting to watch movies and TV series I haven't seen before and then blabbing about it for 20 minutes. It's a pretty good gig. And outside of buying a microphone and interface, which I had to do anyway to do some composing, it doesn't cost me anything. Nada. Zilch. So I'm looking forward to doing season two. There are still plenty of things out there that I haven't seen yet, and I hope people will continue to come along for the ride. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is Skip It. Two stars, Watch at Your Own Risk. Three stars, Standard Fair. Four stars, Worth Checking Out. And five stars, Must See. Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie. Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, from 1997. How'd I miss it? I just don't think I was the right age for Austin Powers. When it came out, I saw the trailers, and just, it didn't intrigue me at all. That's not to say I'm not a Mike Myers fan. Wayne's World was my Mike Myers film. That came out when I was just a teenager. I was the right age. I loved the humor. Big Queen fan, so when I saw that Bohemian Rhapsody sequence... I instantly fell for the movie. But with Austin Powers, everyone was going around doing an impression. It just annoyed me. And I feel like I have seen it because I get all the references. Just never got to a point where I'm like, yeah, I, I really want to see this thing. But now I have a podcast and I needed a movie. It was directed by Jay Roach, who helmed Bombshell, Meet the Parents, Trumbo, and won four Primetime Emmy Awards for Game Change and Recount. 
He's married to singer Susanna Hoffs, lucky man, since 1993, who has a cameo appearance in the movie and was responsible for reuniting the Bangles who contributed the song Get the Girl to the Austin Power sequel, The Spy Who Shagged Me. The screenplay was written by Mike Myers, who starred in Wayne's World, Shrek, and The Cat in the Hat, and known from Saturday Night Live for his characters Linda Richmond, Stuart Rankin, and Dieter. He plays the lead role of Austin Powers and his nemesis, Dr. Evil. Here's a quote without context. There's nothing more pathetic than an aging hipster. So it's 1967. We're introduced to Dr. Evil in his underground lair. Assassins gathered round a large conference table. He's bemoaning the fact that they haven't killed Britain's top secret agent, Austin Powers. Cue Austin Powers. And a dance sequence that ensues over the opening credits. This is nothing more than padding the runtime. He's picked up by Mrs. Kensington and a Union Jack-covered Aston Martin. Over the intercom, Basil Exposition, a great name by the way, warns that Dr. Evil is planning a trap for him tonight at the Electric Psychedelic Pussycat Swingers Club. They arrive at the club to great fanfare and Austin Powers is immediately attacked by an assassin before Dr. Evil makes an appearance. As they chase after him, Dr. Evil escapes in a cryogenic freezing pod where he cryptically warns that he'll see Austin Powers in the future. Thirty years later, Dr. Evil's craft is spotted on satellite and NORAD warns Washington, D.C. Commander Gilmore travels to London and meets with Basil Exposition at the Ministry of Defense, who explains that Austin Powers volunteered to be cryogenically frozen in case Dr. Evil should ever return. M.O.D. goes through the unthawing process and informs Austin Powers that Dr. Evil is on the loose in Nevada, and he'll be teaming up with Miss Kensington to stop the madman. She's the daughter of his former partner and a top-secret agent who will acclimate him to 90s culture. Both Kensingtons were perfectly cast. I don't think I've ever seen a better mother-daughter pairing since Jamie Lee Curtis and Janet Lee, and they were actually mother-daughter. Mimi Rogers from The X-Files, Lost in Space, and Bosch plays the elder Kensington, with Elizabeth Hurley of Bedazzled, Passenger 57, and Ed TV fame is Ms. Vanessa Kensington. Dr. Evil gathers his assassins, Patty O'Brien, Frau Farbacina, and Number 2, played by Paul Dillon, Mindy Sterling, and Robert Wagner, respectively, and tells them of his plan. A breakaway Russian Republic is about to transfer a nuclear warhead to the United Nations, which they will intercept and hold the world ransom for a hundred billion dollars. Alright, that's the only time I'm doing anything close to an impression. Posing as a married couple on vacation, Austin Powers and Ms. Kensington fly to Las Vegas to foil this evil plot. Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery is fine. I tried to be very objective about it and did approach it with an open mind, but it's pretty much exactly what I expected. It's almost like eating junk food. You do it because it's there, but you're getting no nutritional value. It's just filling you up. That's basically what this movie did for me. It just made me pass 90 minutes of time. And I don't know if this is the movie that started it, but the trend of explaining bad jokes really annoys me. I'm fine with dad jokes. I tell them all the time. But there's an expectation that dad jokes are bad. So when you tell a dad joke, it's eye-roll-inducing, of course. But then to explain the bad joke makes it even worse. And that's what I feel that this movie does. It just harps on jokes that aren't really funny. 
how about just telling good jokes? It's still a harmless movie to me. I, I don't feel offended by watching it. I'm just ho-hum about it. There are certain aspects that I did enjoy. I think the acting was fine. I do enjoy parodies, so watching this movie and, and pinpointing all the things that you see in Bond movies um, is enjoyable. And I really like the score. It obviously has a following to warrant two sequels. And at Halloween, you always see people dressed up as Austin Powers. So I get why people would like it. The movie just isn't my cup of tea. Now for a little trivial trivia. Model and actress Lois Childs, who played Holly Goodhead in Moonraker and the hit-and-run driver in Creepshow 2, makes a cameo appearance as the wife of a steamrolled assassin. The cinematography was captured by Peter Deming, whose filmography includes Mulholland Drive, My Cousin Vinny, and I Heart Huckabees. During the 60s sequence, the camera work perfectly captures that era, or at least what we think of that era. Go-Go dancers filmed at low angles, neon colors, lots of swirls, all that good stuff. It was edited by Deborah Neal Fisher, who worked on The Hangover, Sonic the Hedgehog, and Fifty Shades of Ugh. The score was composed by George S. Clinton, who wrote the music for Mortal Kombat, Wild Things, and The Santa Claus 2, Electric Boogaloo. It's an excellent blend of sound-alike Bond themes and 60s-inspired motifs. The soundtrack features songs by The Cardigans, The Divinals, and Susanna Hoffs. Quincy Jones wrote and produced Soul Bossa Nova in 1962, which was used as the theme to Austin Powers. This is something to look out for. There are cameo appearances by Tom Arnold, Carrie Fisher, Rob Lowe, Michael McDonald, Sherry O'Terry, Christian Slater, Burt Bacharach, and Larry Thomas, the soup Nazi from Seinfeld. Since that series started streaming on Netflix on October 1st, I've been binging it every day, and I'm now halfway through season 9. Such an amazing show. The runtime is 1 hour 31 minutes. It had a budget of $16.5 million and grossed $68 million at the box office. It won Best Villain and Best Dance Sequence at the 1998 MTV Movie Awards. It's produced two sequels, The Spy Who Shagged Me in 1999 and Goldmember in 2002. A fourth in the series has been kicked around since 2005. Ultimately, the movie comes down to, yeah baby, big boy, WW2, no inner monologue, a hefty ransom, turbulence, don't force it, Project Vulcan, fembots, Thrombo, and Paris Talk. I give it two and a half out of five stars. Add a star if you're under the age of 14. If you've seen Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along, each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. So 10 years ago, on November 29th, 2011, we lost one of the greatest comedians out there, Patrice O'Neill. I've spoken at length about how brilliant I thought that he was, but he just never got to that next level of stardom where he's a household name like Kevin Hart or Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle. I do remember exactly where I was when he passed. It was at work. I was at a television channel at the time. I either read it online or heard it from the Opie and Anthony show. But as soon as the news broke, I ran to my coworker's office. Her name was Maureen. She's very well known in the comedy world. She was a talent agent for many heavy hitters in stand-up. Jim Norton, Colin Quinn, Dave Chappelle. 
And she was one of my favorite coworkers. We talked all the time about comedy. And I stood in her doorway and she looked at me and we both knew that we both knew. She had some more insight because she's in that circle. But for those who are unaware, Patrice had a stroke that was probably brought on because of his diabetes and he was overweight. But he was in a coma, I think, for about a month and then uh, finally passed on. But she and I were just talking and she was telling me some funny stories about uh, some interaction she had with Patrice on The Green Room with Paul Provenza. As we were talking, her assistant, who was sitting outside the door, called in and said, um, there's a Robert Kelly on the line. And I looked at her and I'm like, is that Bobby Kelly, the comedian? She's like, yeah. So I excused myself and, and let them talk. But I'll never forget that day. It was inevitable. It was expected. But it was still a shock. But after he had passed, Maureen worked with Bill Burr on the Patrice O'Neill Benefit, which is a yearly event where comedians come together, do about a 10 minute set. And all the proceeds go to his mother, his wife, and his stepdaughter. But I can't say enough about Patrice. He's just an amazing comedian. And his insight into society, culture, people is just incredible. I'm going to post two clips that I think really encapsulate who Patrice O'Neill was. The first is when he was being interviewed on Fox News with the president of Now. And every time he talked, you could hear the passion in his voice. And then they went to the president of now, and she's saying things in generalities with her talking points, and Patrice just calls her out on it. And it's an amazing clip. He just brutalizes her verbally to the point where at the end, the now president is even laughing. It's just an amazing clip. And then I'll post a best of compilation of Patrice on Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn. They'll all be available in the Matt Watch That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about Speechless, created by Scott Silveri, who worked on Mad About You and Friends. It starred Minnie Driver and John Ross Bowie as Maya and Jimmy, the heads of the DeMeo household. They're kind of a rough-and-tumble family. They know how to get by. It's really enjoyable watching their ventures. They have three children, the oldest of whom, named JJ, has cerebral palsy and is nonverbal. He uses a laser pointer that's strapped to his head, along with a board that has common phrases, to communicate with his family and friends. The middle son, Ray, is very scholarly. He's also kind of a worrywart. He's probably the most responsible one. And then there's Dylan, the youngest daughter, who's the athlete of the family. Very competitive always looking for a challenge. The actors playing the children are Micah Fowler, Mason Cook, and Kyla Kennedy. They're joined by Kenneth, who originally works at the school that JJ attends, but leaves to become his aide. He's portrayed by Cedric Yarbrough. This is a fun series, especially if you get past the pilot. In the beginning, Minnie Driver as Maya is very much a mama bear, helicopter parent, very protective of her family, especially JJ. And if her son needs something, she's going to get it, by hook or by crook. And I can see that sometimes grating on people. But you also have to look at it from the perspective of the family. The series was actually inspired because Scott Silveri's brother had cerebral palsy. So he wanted to create a show that gives some insight as to what the family has to go through when you have a member who has special needs. Sometimes it's a struggle, and sometimes it's rewarding. And I think the episodes show both. 
And that's part of the charm of the series. This is what happens when you put representation on screen. Most of us don't have to think about a building being wheelchair accessible, but they do. You see what they have to go through and maybe from that gain a little more empathy and understanding. Diversity and representation only help our society. So it's good to have it in our movies and our television shows. Speechless was on for three seasons, 63 episodes from 2016 to 2019. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. I plan on having interactive elements, so follow, subscribe, and like for all the latest news, updates, and polls. Until next time, the end. Dr. Evil is planning a trap for him tonight at the electric fica... Oh, fuck. Whoopsie! <laughs> There's take one. He's married to singer Susanna Hoffs, who has a cameo appearance in the movie and was responsible for reuniting the Bangles who contributed the song Get the Girl to the Austin Powers sequel, The Spy Who Chagged Me. Who Chagged Me? They're a rough and tumbly... Rough and tumbly?